You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. We are coming to you from the not-quite-famous recording studios on Bluefish Boulevard in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And joining me is my frequent co-host, photographer and Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse's volunteer and leadership committee member, Michelle Jewell Shaw. Hi, Michelle, and happy fall. Hello, Jeremy. Thank you for having me today. I am so excited that fall is finally here. I just love the fall. It's such a beautiful season. It is, and uh, hopefully we don't get uh, any thunder showers while we're recording. There is a threat of thunder showers uh, this afternoon. It's getting kind of dark it outside. It is getting a little dark out there. So if you hear any, if our listeners hear any rumbling, they'll know what's going on. Uh, so today's episode of Lighthearted will take us uh, to two stops on the main coast, up to Burnt Coat Harbor Light Station, pretty far up the coast on Swans Island and back down the coast to the Kittery Historical and Naval Museum on the southern coast. Some regular listeners might wonder why we feature main lighthouses as often as we do. Uh, The reason is simple. We're based here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, on our short New Hampshire seacoast, so we're a short distance from the Maine and Massachusetts coasts, but we've tried to include lighthouses from other regions as well, And we'll certainly try to cover lots of geographic ground in the future. Michelle, please help me tell our listeners about our first guests. Sure, Jeremy. Swans Island, Maine, about 7,000 acres in size, was first charted by the French explorer Samuel de Champlain in 1604. The island was bought by James Swan, originally from Scotland, and a participant in the Boston Tea Party in 1786. The island is about six miles west southwest of Mount Desert Island and is accessible by ferry from Bass Harbor. To mark the entrance to Burnt Coat Harbor on the south side of the island, a light station was established in 1872. The 32-foot tall square brick lighthouse tower and a keeper's house still stand along with outbuildings. The station was automated and de-staffed in 1975. The still active automated light is still maintained by Coast Guard aids to navigation personnel, while the light station became the property of the town of Swans Island in 1994. A committee was formed to oversee the management of the property. With nobody living at the station and no regular maintenance, the property quickly deteriorated. Eventually, an organization called the Friends of Swans Island Lighthouse was formed, and a series of grants were obtained to facilitate the restoration of the lighthouse, keeper's house, and other buildings. Eric and Fran Chetwind are among the seasonal and local residents working to restore the Burnt Coat Harbor Light Station. The Chetwinds live on the island in summer, and they live in Pittsburgh, North Carolina the rest of the year. Eric Chetwind, who is originally from Springfield, Massachusetts, was Director of Economic and Institutional Development for the U.S. Agency for International Development. Fran, who is a native of Dunedin, New Zealand, was a communications lawyer. Eric is the secretary for the town's Lighthouse Committee. Fran is also a committee member. Both have served on the board of the Friends of Swans Island Lighthouse, a nonprofit organization. I had the opportunity to speak with Eric and Fran during a visit to the Burnt Coat Harbor Light Station in August. Let's listen to that conversation now.
I am visiting here with Eric Chetwind, Secretary of the Swans Island Lighthouse Committee. Thanks for inviting me into the uh, Keeper's Quarters here, the, uh, the Burnt Coat Harbor Lighthouse. I almost said the Swans Island Lighthouse, but the name of the lighthouse is actually the Burnt Coat Harbor Lighthouse. And the last time I actually visited the lighthouse was about 15 years ago, and things have changed just a, a little bit since the last time I visited. It's uh, amazing to see what's been accomplished here. It's absolutely incredible. The restoration here includes the Keeper's Quarters, where we are right now, and the lighthouse tower itself, uh, also the oil house, the fog bell tower, and uh, also work uh, on the grounds uh, around the light station as well. Uh, in 2017, the work here uh, received a Keeper of the Light Award from the American Lighthouse Foundation. And uh, Eric, again, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, Eric, I know it's really, really hard to sum this up in just a few sentences. In fact, it's, it's pretty much impossible. But if you could just kind of walk our listeners through uh, what's been accomplished here, uh, let's start with the, the Keeper's House and the Lighthouse Tower. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about what's been accomplished here and more or less how it's been accomplished, uh, that would be very helpful. Well, thanks, Jeremy. It's great to have you out here on the island on such a beautiful day as well. It all started uh, with uh, a National Trust for Historic Preservation grant, which which uh, allowed us to have a historic restoration plan. Having a plan for the whole schmear, everything, was absolutely key to what followed, to our getting grants, to our getting volunteers, to our having a vision for the entire restoration. That was in 2007. 2007, the uh, plan was published, and it was uh, nothing but a lot of work from, from then on. Um, I should say that we have a, a really great uh, lighthouse committee and with, with tremendous amount of volunteer work, and uh, that is just uh, key to the whole thing. And the uh, restoration of the lighthouse tower is ongoing. There's uh, still work going on on that. Uh, Eric, can you tell us a little bit more about what's been happening with the, the restoration of the tower? So the, the tower has always been the elephant in the room. Because of the scaffolding that's required uh, around it, uh, which is a very uh, uh, capital-intensive part of it, uh, we've needed roughly a quarter million dollars to, to uh, finance that. And where are you going to get a quarter million dollars these days? Well, we got lucky last year <clears throat> and got a grant from the uh, Maritime Heritage Grant Program, which is run by the National Park Service. And uh, that allowed us to have a competitive bidding, and we got a contractor, uh, Tito Masonry and Construction, to come out here and, and do the overall job on the exterior restoration of the tower, which was in really, really rough shape. Bricks were failing all over the place. Uh, the the uh, expansion and contraction of the platform, the catwalk was uh, causing brick and masonry to crack and fail. Uh, we've, we've replaced uh, all of that. We've replaced some 240 bricks. We've made it stronger than it was originally by putting in uh, stainless steel rods where there was uh, weaknesses uh, showing. These are uh, uh, they're called helifix rods. 
underneath the catwalk itself to account for the expansion and contraction uh, in the heat and cool. We have uh, neoprene pads uh, to protect it. We've anchored the top with to the we've anchored the catwalk to the structure by uh, stainless steel uh, anchors at each corner. There are stainless steel rods put around the corner and uh, encircling the entire building. So I, I like to compare it to the six million dollar man, which looks the same, but uh, is uh, uh, better and stronger than it was. I'll tell you, it's the the it's absolutely beautiful in here. We're actually sitting in a part of the keeper's house that has now been transformed into an art gallery. And you've actually emphasized public access uh, in the uh, the keeper's quarters here, and the the tower has been open to the public as well. So along with restoration, public access has been an emphasis of this project. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the public access here? Well, back in the day when there were lighthouse keepers here, there was really just a path coming up to the lighthouse. It is on a peninsula, a 20-acre peninsula. Uh, a road was put in uh, sometime in the 1950s, we think. And it's quite easy now for folks to just drive up to the lighthouse. There are three parking uh, areas, one at the top of the hill, one at the bottom of the hill, and one right here outside the building. It's not something you can jump off the ferry boat and witness. Uh, it's about four four miles from the ferry boat, but uh, it's a lovely ferry boat ride from Bass Harbor, and it's about a four-mile uh, ride from the ferry boat to the uh, to the buildings. Mm-hmm. You can take a bicycle um, if you're really hardy. You can walk, but uh, the, the recommended way is to uh, bring your car aboard and come out and see us. Right. The, uh, the the lighthouse is open during the summertime. Uh, five days a week from 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock, and that's uh, Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, one of the, the best things about the restoration of the keeper's house here is the fact that there's now an upstairs apartment available for rent, um, which I think is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's available uh, for weekly rentals. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Right. Well, that was all part of the original plan. The uh, historic restoration plan called for eventually building a uh, an apartment uh, upstairs, which is uh, in the same configuration as the original, uh, because, of course, everything we do uh, is uh, under the auspices of the, uh, the State Historic Preservation uh, Commission. But it's a lovely apartment. Uh, very comfortable with gorgeous views of the harbor and the open ocean. Um, there is a, a bedroom, a, a, a spacious living room. All the rooms are spacious, uh, both of them, uh, except for the kitchen, which is very tiny, but very serviceable. So come on out. We've had nothing but a good response from the people who have stayed here. You could read the logbook and see what a wonderful time those who've stayed in the apartment have had. And by the way, the apartment, the purpose of the apartment is to give us a source of revenue for the long-term maintenance of the lighthouse because, you know, we don't have a keeper here, uh, but we still have to pull the maintenance, and that costs money. 
Uh, now, there's also uh, walking trails, I believe, that uh, are actually uh, also uh, sort of part of the the, same, the project that's uh, uh, kind of related to the uh, the town uh, lighthouse committee as well. Maybe could you explain a little bit about that as well? Sure, uh, Jerry. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we have uh, two miles of trails um, that were. Uh, Actually, we had a landscape architect come in and, and do the work. Uh, we had a, a volunteer who was kind of champion of the uh, trail. Her name is uh, Fern Burns and her husband, George. They were terrific volunteers on getting things done on the trails. The main uh, uh, conservation corps came out here a number of times uh, under contract with us to uh, create two miles of wonderful trails. Uh, one of the trails leads to the beach on the harbor side, which we call Burying Point Beach. The Indians used it for burying purposes. And the other is, is uh, a trail down to Long Point Beach, which is a wonderful rocky uh, rock beach. You can sit there for hours and throw rocks in the water and build cairns and so on. And there are Beautiful views from many places along these trails. I, I think that they rival the trails in, in Acadia National Park, frankly. It's a, it's a really beautiful island here. Uh, Eric, what for you uh, would you say is the most special aspect of Burnt Coat Harbor Light Station? What, what's your favorite part of this, this place here? What a tough question, Jeremy. Uh, my favorite part, I guess I'll say sitting on the rocking chairs on the front porch and gazing out uh, over the ocean, watching the, the schooners and the lobster boats uh, coming into the harbor, that's hard to beat. Yeah, I, I, would, I would have to agree with that. That sounds really, really hard to beat. And uh, how can our listeners learn more about Burncoat Harbor Light Station and how they can visit, uh, the hours that it's uh, open for visitation, how they can uh, rent the upstairs apartment, and so forth? Well, the, the best possible uh, way to learn all you need to know about uh, the lighthouse in Swans Island is to visit our website, which is Light. Dot com, And there you'll find all of the information, historical information, information on the apartment, on the trails, uh, and on the restoration process uh, itself. And uh, with links to the town site, so you can learn also uh, a great deal about Swans Island. That sounds pretty easy. Is there also a Facebook page for the Lighthouse? Uh, yes, there's a Facebook page. Fran... We're being joined here by Fran Chetland, Eric's wife, as well. The Facebook page is probably the most up-to-date source for information about hours, availability for rentals, and so forth. Um, it's the f Facebook page for Friends of the Swans Island Lighthouse, which is FOSIL, F-O-S-I-L. And I keep it pretty up-to-date. Thank you so much, Fran. Eric, uh, before uh, we wrap things up here, um, something you, you mentioned earlier that I, I'd like to, to cover, if we could kind of back up a little bit, just going back into the history of the Burncoat uh, uh, Harbor Light Station here. Uh, I know that there was a, a point in time when uh, there was a danger that the lighthouse was actually going to be destroyed and it was, it was saved. 
Uh, could you just fill in a little bit of the history there and tell us what, what almost happened back then? Right. Well, we're very proud of that uh, episode, Jeremy. Um, it was uh, back in, uh, I believe it was the 1980s, um, early on, that the Coast Guard had a plan to take down the tower and put up a steel structure, and it was a, a an economic uh, move. It was uh, to reduce maintenance, and you no longer had a keeper here. And Roberta Joyce just couldn't stand the thought of of uh, losing that iconic tower for the uh, for the island. Roberta Joyce is uh, part of a, a an old island family here. And she took it upon herself to challenge the Coast Guard on this. The Coast Guard agreed to let the tower stand. And Roberta established the first lighthouse committee here on the island. And I guess you can say the rest is history. Well, what a forward-thinking uh, person she was to do that. And uh, look, look what's happened here. It's just uh, amazing to see what the progress that's been made here is just so great. And uh, on that uh, line of thinking, uh, Fran, I'd like to kind of uh, wrap things up here by just talking a little bit more about what's been accomplished in the Keeper's House here, which is now uh, a beautiful visitor center, basically. Could you just tell us Tell our listeners a little bit more about what's available here when, when they come to visit, uh, when the, uh, the house uh, is open. If you visit during the open hours for the Keeper's House, uh, there, we have a docent on site who can answer lots of questions about the island. We also have a display by the Historical Society. This year it's a display about uh, women in the fishing industry in Swans Island. Also have an exhibit of children's art from the Swans Island School. And uh, we have an art room with art by local artists, some of it absolutely wonderful. And of course, we have little mementos that uh, uh, people can take away with them. Uh, if the keeper's house is closed, you can still sit on the porch. We have four wonderful rocking chairs and look out to sea, see the traffic coming and going through the western way. And of course, walk our beautiful trails. Thank you so much, friend. I just want to mention that we're recording this in uh, late August 2019, but we this may not be uh, uh, heard in the on the podcast until the season is kind of wrapping up for 2019. So people may have to wait until spring of 2020 to actually visit the the lighthouse by the time they hear this. But uh, I hope they'll keep this in mind when they hear this and come come visit you in the the spring and summer of 2020. Uh, so Eric and Fran Chetwin, I want to thank you so much. Uh, thank you for for uh, having me here today and for spending some time with me. It's just phenomenal to uh, to experience to see this this place. To to uh, having been here, you know, 15 or so years ago, uh, and seeing the progress that's been made. It's a, it's a miracle what's been accomplished here. So again, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jeremy. It's just been uh, great having you out here, and you we love to show off the fruits of all of our labor. On our history segment today, we're going to tell you about Horace Whedon Arnold, a longtime keeper in Rhode Island. Arnold was born on May 17, 1839, into a family of lighthouse keepers on Prudence Island, a large island in Narragansett Bay. He served in the Civil War as a member of Company G 
4th Rhode Island Infantry. After surviving three years in the war, Arnold nearly lost his life in a shipwreck on the Potomac River on his way home. After the Civil War, Arnold enlisted in the U.S. Navy. For some time, he was pilot of the tug Nina, while Admiral George Dewey, then a lieutenant, was in command of the vessel. After his military service, Arnold entered the coastal trade, but he decided he'd had enough after his schooner sank in Long Island Sound. He entered the lighthouse service in the early 1870s, first as an assistant at Beavertail Light in Jamestown. A new stone lighthouse was erected offshore from Connecticut Point in Warwick, Rhode Island on November 1, 1868. The point extends out into the mouth of the Providence River in the form of a dangerous sandbar that was a menace to shipping. The lighthouse was described as, and I quote, a staunch-looking round tower built of large blocks of granite, end quote. A fog bell with automatic striking machinery was attached to the tower, and a five-room keeper's house was added on a pier adjacent to the lighthouse in 1873. On February 27, 1874, Horace Arnold was appointed keeper of this light. A little over a year later, in early March 1875, Arnold was at the dwelling at Connecticut Light with his young son when drifting ice, driven by strong northeast winds, abruptly smashed into the structure. The Arnolds were lucky to escape with their lives as the house broke apart. They were rescued several hours later by the Tug Reliance, captained by Nat Sutton. Sutton spotted Arnold on a mattress on a drifting ice floe, later describing him as sitting like a man on a magic carpet. The keeper's hands and feet were frozen, and it was some months before he could fully resume his duties. According to the annual report of the Lighthouse Board for 1875, Arnold lost all his furniture, which was valued at $319. It took a congressional appropriation for him to be reimbursed a full four years later. After 11 more years at the new rebuilt Connecticut Lighthouse, Arnold became keeper of the Connecticut Light at the northern tip of Jamestown in 1886. He once made a risky walk out onto the ice from the lighthouse to assist the passengers of a stranded vessel. The boat's skipper presented the keeper with a captain's chair for his considerable efforts, and the chair remained a treasured possession of the Arnold family for many years. Arnold would start up the station's foghorn on occasion for the entertainment of his young nephew, Archie. The sound thrilled and delighted Archie, who later said, I shrank into my shoes. Arnold remained at Connecticut Light Station until his death from pneumonia in February 1914. He left his widow and four children. His funeral was held during a raging blizzard at the Central Baptist Church in Jamestown. Horace Arnold, a lighthouse keeper for 42 years, was buried at the town's Cedar Cemetery. Next, we want to tell you about a special museum in Kittery, Maine. Kittery, founded in 1647, is the oldest town in Maine, and the Kittery Historical and Naval Museum is a gem of a small museum packed with fascinating artifacts, including a number of items related to lighthouses. 
When I tell people about the Kittery Historical and Naval Museum, if they don't know where it is, I tell them it's near the traffic circle where the Dairy Queen is. Then they know what I'm talking about. I had a chance to talk with Kim Sanborn, the director of the museum, so let's listen to that conversation now. Kim, lots of lighthouse and maritime buffs drive through Kittery on their way north to see Nubble Light, Portland Headlight, and lots of other lighthouses on the main coast. Why should they want to stop here at this museum? Kittery is definitely a destination. From Fort McClary and Kittery, you can see Whaleback Light as well as Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. In the museum, we have the second order Fresnel lens from Boone Island on display, along with a lot of history from the island. Visitors can see how these amazing pieces were made. We also have stamps from the United States Lighthouse Society to add to their passport books. Yeah, the uh, Boone Island lens is really an amazing piece. It's one of the, the most magnificent Fresnel lenses uh, people can see in this, this whole area. Uh, when did that come? I remember when actually first seeing it in Boone Island Lighthouse. I photographed it in the lighthouse back around 1990. I think it left the lighthouse around the mid-90s. When did it come here to the museum? We were lucky enough to get it in the museum in April of 2000. And it's uh, certainly one of the centerpieces of the uh, museum here. And around it, there are some other items related to lighthouses as well. We do. We have portraits of the lighthouse keepers. William C. Williams was a lighthouse keeper on Boone Island for 26 years. And his son was a lighthouse keeper out there after that. We have um, some artwork that Charles did, Mm -hmm. as well as um, some uniforms and other items on display. Yeah, and I think there's a a model of uh, Whaleback Lighthouse, uh, Don Perkins, uh, somebody I I know, uh, did that model. We do have a very detailed model of Whaleback on display also. Also, are there uh, other items that might be of special interest to maritime history buffs as well? We have a wonderful collection of nautical items that include early navigational instruments, ship models such as the Ranger that was John Paul Jones's ship and built right here on Badger's Island in Kittery. We also have submarine and Portsmouth Naval Shipyard history, including a display for the USS Thresher and USS Squalus. I've, uh, I live in Portsmouth, uh, just across the Piscataqua River from Kittery, and uh, I've taken part in some events at this museum. I've seen what a passion you have for local history, and I believe you're from Kittery originally. Uh, can you tell me what makes Kittery so special for you? Well, my family roots are in Kittery. My relatives have been here for almost 200 years. They've farmed here. Some have worked at the shipyard, and most of them are buried here. When I grew up here, I thought Kittery was just a small town. But now I realize what an impact Kittery has made on the world. Kittery has a truly amazing history. It sure does. Uh, And uh, also, uh, in case there might be any people listening who might uh, live in or near Kittery, I know you're always looking for help at the museum. Can you tell me uh, or tell us what kind of help you might be looking for? We're always looking for volunteers in the museum. Recently, we've started a digitization project for our artifacts and ephemera. So we're looking for people to input data, scan items. When we're open in the summer, we're looking for people to man the front desk, greet our visitors, and talk about the area and the history that we have in the museum. So again, I just want to tell people that if they're coming up the main coast, or if they're coming to see the outlet malls, that's another thing that people come to Kittery for, the outlet malls on Route 1, 
Uh, they should not uh, drive right past this this wonderful gem of a museum here uh, in Kittery, the Kittery Historical and Naval Museum. Kim, uh, how can people learn more about the museum? Well, we certainly would invite them to visit when we open in the spring. They can always visit our website, www.kitterymuseum.com, or go to our Facebook page for all of our events, hours, stories, and photos of Kittery's history. This episode of Lighthearted is slated to be released on September 30th, but I wrote the script about a month earlier. When I wrote it, the podcast had been around for nearly three months and 22 episodes had been posted. There had been more than 5,500 downloads, and recently we've been getting around 250 to 300 downloads per episode. From what I've gathered, that's not bad for a new podcast about a niche or niche subject like Lighthouses. I appreciate all of you who've listened, but I'd like to build up the numbers more if we can. To do that, it would help if we could get more ratings and reviews online. If you use Apple Podcasts, please rate this podcast, and if you can, please post a review. A couple of people have posted reviews on Apple Podcasts. Finnegan777 writes, and I quote, Amazing information. So informative and interesting. Very professional and well done. Bravo. End quote. And Mountain Ginger writes, Enlightening. Enjoy the flow of information and history of various lighthouses, ones I have visited and others I would like to. I learn something new every episode. Keep it up. Thanks to those two for posting those reviews, and we'll certainly read more reviews in the future. And you don't have to praise us. If you have ideas for how this podcast could be better, please let us know. If you have ideas for features or ideas for people I could interview, I want to hear from you. You can email me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Again, that's jeremy at uslhs.org. Before we sign off, I want to say a little bit about the song we sometimes use at the end of the show, This Little Light of Mine. This Little Light of Mine was a gospel song written for children in the 1920s by Harry Dixon Lowe's. It was later adapted in connection with the civil rights movement. Today, there are many versions of the song. The version you hear in this podcast is by Roger McGuinn, who is best known as a member of the group The Birds. Roger McGuinn has made this recording available as part of something called the Folk Den Project, which he started in 1995. Each month he would record a song, print the lyrics and chords, add a personal note, and put it on his website, mcguinn.com. He wanted everyone to have the opportunity to learn the songs and to be able to sing them with their family and friends, so downloads were offered free of charge. He said he decided to do This Little Light with a 12-string Rickenbacker guitar with a jingle-jangle feel. Thank you to our guests today, Kim Sanborn of the Kittery Historical and Naval Museum and Eric and Fran Chetwind of the Burnt Coat Harbor Light Station. Thank you to the volunteers and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and to everyone who works on behalf of lighthouses everywhere. We will close today with Roger McGuinn's complete recording of This Little Light of Mine. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep a good light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, 
Let it shine, let it shine 